Stokes and welcome to Strategy Bytes. I am the co-founder of Oak Tree Talent Group, a specialist strategy and transformation recruitment agency. Strategy Bytes is a compilation of career stories and insights from the market's most experienced executives. Many have gained their strategy toolkit from management consulting. In each episode, we ask the best of the industry's talent to share the highs and lows of their careers and the best bits of advice they've ever been given. They will give us a glimpse of what their day-to-day lives look like now, warts and all. Our aim is to give inspiration to the ambitious strategists out there and give them an understanding of what is possible. In each episode, we will ask guests for a read, watch or listen to recommendation and a quote or value that they live their lives by. So my first guest of season three of the Strategy Bites podcast is Tanil O'Shaughnessy. Tanil is currently the CEO of Adore Beauty, Australia's number one online beauty retailer, where she successfully led the listing of the company on the ASX in 2020. Previously, Tanil has been at Seek as a managing director Americus, and prior to that, she was a management consultant at AT Carney. So welcome to the Strategy Bites um, podcast, Neil. Firstly, thank you for joining me on the very first podcast of Series 3, Kicking It Off in Style. Before we start chatting about your journey, I was really keen just to have a bit of an overview of your background, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had quite a varied background. I actually started my career in logistics. So whilst I was studying at uni, I was a stevedore loading and unloading ships. So had my crane license, my straddle license, my forklift license. I was very keen to, after quite a specialised background there, move into something where I got a exposure to a broader industry set. So I went and did an MBA and took up a role in consulting. So I spent almost five years at Carney and very deliberately chose a path that gave me exposure to many different industries and verticals. I was very keen to to get that breadth of exposure. Spent five years at Carney and really enjoyed my time there uh, before getting to a point where I really needed to make a decision between committing to the consulting lifetime career path and moving into the principal and partner ranks or looking at getting some more corporate business exposure. I was quite keen to stay involved in the problem solving and the strategy development and execution. So went into a corporate part, spending 10 years at Seek. And in Seek, I really had four or five careers in my 10 years there. So spanning everything from a startup, uh, working on a, a joint venture with Swinburne University called Online Education Services before moving into an international strategy role. And then lastly, taking on P&L leadership, looking after the Americas portfolio. But loved my time at Seek in the 10 years then. But most recently, I've moved into Adore Beauty. Uh, so Adore Beauty is a smaller organisation. A lot of similarities to Seek in that it was founder-led an Australian entrepreneurial story, uh, high growth and very customer-centric. And I have been there for uh, 18 months. And during my time, we've also recently listed the business on the the ASX. Amazing. And look, I'm a massive fan of Adore Beauty. I'm a customer myself, discovered it through lockdown and uh, yeah, was was an advocate. So uh, it's a great brand. Um, But the reason I was so keen to get you on the podcast is that your journey and your path um, has been one that many consultants that we speak to aspire to, essentially going from getting all the great experiences that you can in consulting or meeting all the different people and trying different sectors, then moving into a sort of tech business. 
and climbing through the ranks, trying different roles, gaining leadership, gaining P&L experience before stepping into a CEO role. So that's the reason I was really, really keen to get you on the, um, the podcast. But can you recall, obviously, you mentioned you started in logistics, so very, very different. What did you aspire to be when you, right back then, when you were in logistics? Did you, what career path did you envision for yourself? Look, Annika, I'd love to say I was one of those people that had a path set out from when I was a child, but I think that the feature that you'd see in my career is one that's much more a, an innate curiosity and desire to learn and desire to grow, but also a degree of improvisation and taking opportunities when presented. So I actually started, I started uni wanting to be a vet. So I spent 12 months studying vet science of all things before working out that wasn't for me. I transitioned over into a commerce law degree and finished up that law degree, was finishing my honours year and just knew I didn't want to be a career lawyer and also knew I didn't want to continue to further specialise in logistics. So I'd done a really good job of working out what I didn't want to do for the next 10 or 15 years, but really wasn't sure what was next. And so I spoke to a lot of people, got, had uh, some a lot of people that I'd gone to uni with had gone down into different paths. And I was really interested in broadening my career exposure in terms of industry, as well as building out my executive toolkit. So I completed an MBA with a specific goal of securing a consulting job once I graduated. Mm -hmm. And how did you choose Carney? Was it, you know, went to one of these MBA programs where they, the, the expos that present to you? I did. I went to all of the various expos where they present. I interviewed with a, a couple of firms. I, I guess what resonated uh, with, with me uh, in terms of Carney was their real focus on practical workable solutions. So getting the opportunity to work with really strategic, smart people. But what they spoke to was the customer impact of the work that they had done. And that, that really resonated with me being close to the customer and delivering an impact. Yeah, goodness. So you tried your hand at many different things before you found consulting, which is fantastic. And of course, you do get exposure to so many different sectors, so many types of companies. And that's really appealing to MBA grads, of course, who maybe haven't quite figured out where they want to specialize. Um, when you were at Carney, was there any sort of light bulb moments that you had while working on projects or with certain customers that was, you know, this is where I want to specialize and this is in this particular area? Yes, yeah, so certainly. So I really enjoyed working with the customer, as, as I shared earlier. And so I did lots of work in the consumer and retail practices across strategy and operations. And then I got exposed to work that was much more involved in the digital aspect of, uh, so in terms of how tech can disrupt how we solve customer problems, how it's an enabler to really think differently about what customers are asking of a business and how we can solve those problems. So I think it was a combination of different consulting projects that I did that really opened my eyes to the possibility that the digital to transform how we think about customer experience. Mm, yeah. And, but of course, earlier on in your career, you tried a lot of different things, a lot of different sectors. So this is what inspired you. You, you reached, was it manager level at Carney and then obviously made a move out? Is that, is that right? Correct. So I was a manager for, I think, two, two and a half years. So I was, I was, considering the path into principle yeah and and for me it was really as consultants will know moving to that principal partner level was moving me closer to business development and sales 
when really I knew enough about myself to know what I really enjoyed was the problem solving responsibility, seeing work through to completion. So I went looking for a corporate role that would allow me to build out that element of my work experience. It's such a different role, isn't it? It's sort of, we hear that a lot when people are moving into the principal level roles that just, just doesn't suit their personalities and they actually really love the execution side of things. So it's not an uncommon story. But then obviously you moved to Seek. I mean, was it Seek in particular? Obviously you said you were seeking a, um, looking for a industry role. What was it about Seek that sort of attracted you? Well, you wouldn't be surprised to know that me, like many consultants looking at, at evaluating job opportunities, there was a spreadsheet involved in the background in <laughs> terms of me trying to quantify my decision-making. But I think for me, what I was looking for in the role was uh, the organisation that I went to work for was really important. So I was looking for something that was uh, high growth, that was, because that would tend to afford opportunities for stretch and development that really valued the strategy function. And so one of the things that attracted me to seek was one of the co-founders, Andrew Bassett, comes from a strategy background and, and strategy as a function is uh, well-respected within seek. And there was a strong track record of people starting in strategy and growing and expanding into other roles within the business. And then the last thing that was really important to me was the people that I'd be working with. And so one of the things that I really took from my time in consulting was the opportunity to learn and grow because I was surrounded by very intelligent, curious, driven, motivated people. And I didn't want to lose that moving into a corporate. I, I had heard that, that the, the pace of learning and the pace of growth slows down. Uh, what I can say though, from my direct lived experience is that wasn't the case for me at all in SEEK. You know, I had the opportunity going into that organization to work with some of the most, uh, you know, just inherently smart, but values led people who cared deeply for the customer that really applied themselves into working and problems. So they were the main things for me. It was the organization. It was the values and culture of the place and the people I'd be working with. Yeah, and we're still recruiting for Seek. There's still very, very smart people and a lot of ex-consultants in that business. So I can see why it's attractive to consultants looking for their first move out of, of consulting. But you held a few roles in Seek and some that took you all over the world. So it doesn't sound like it was a, a move for you know, less travel or work-life balance. I mean, it sounds like you traveled a lot there. Yeah, ironically, though, one of the reasons I stepped away from consulting was to reduce my travel. So, so clearly I didn't think that went through too well. <laughs> However, I did spend the majority of my time at SEEK working across its international portfolio. So firstly, as the strategy director for international, uh, where I was working with CEOs in all of the businesses that SEEK has outside of Australia. So I was working with CEOs in China, seven markets in Southeast Asia, the Americas uh, and also Africa. Uh, and then last, later on, moving into the Managing Director of Americas role, where I had P&L responsibility for the Americas portfolio, including a business in Brazil and one in Mexico. And so what I would say about that opportunity for global exposure, you know, despite all the setbacks and obstacles associated with working abroad, I found that these experiences really benefited me greatly in terms of challenging my own perspectives and increasing my cross-cultural awareness. Mm. Was it a conscious choice taking on the different, different roles in the business? So there were elements of choice uh, and then also elements of opportunities presenting themselves. So my approach to my own professional career development is to 
I guess, have a very clear view of the skills and experiences I'm accumulating and understanding where my gaps might be. And so I looked at each of the roles that, that were presented as, you know, almost weighing them up and assessing them to, you know, firstly, do I bring enough to the table that I can add value day one? But then also does the role give me the opportunity to stretch and grow and round out in an area where I might not have as much experience? Mm-hmm. And so I had very open conversations. I was very fortunate in my time at SEEK that, you know, career development was something that was prioritized. So you could have conversations with key mentors in the business around how I should think about my career and growing it within SEEK. And for the international role, I was given some some sound advice that, so I started in the education part at SEEK, the education part of the business. I was given advice that demonstrating, you know, the ability to work internationally and to work in the employment uh, marketplace side of the business would be very beneficial for my career. So deliberately looked for opportunities that allowed me to do that. It must've been challenging at times though. And some of them must be done when your opportunities were presented must've been quite daunting. Yeah, certainly. So that's another thing I would say quite often the opportunities that are presented to us, the timing might not be perfect for other things that are going on in your life. Uh, and there might also be challenges with the particular opportunity that's presented. So, so quite often, and I say this a lot to people looking for their first stretch opportunity or, or I, you know, way to move into uh, an operational type role. Quite often, those come up in the context of a role that is that may be riskier, may require a turnaround or a change exercise. And so I think that the way I looked at it was more the opportunity to get skills and valuable experience and to, you know, work through the cycle and work through the solution of a problem. But, but yes, there were challenges along the way. Mm, I can imagine. And obviously, the, you mentioned the last role that you held, had was holding a P&L. Um, and that is something we we have a lot of conversations with in our day-to-day work with consultants aspiring to secure roles with a P&L attached to them. But I almost never see consultants move straight from consulting into roles with P&L, unless, of course, you know, it's a startup, very small startup where you're wearing many hats. Do you feel that you had to have gone through a journey before being, you know, offered the opportunity to have a role with P&L within Seek? A hundred percent. And I mentor a lot of uh, consultants in their decision-making process on whether or not they, they should think about moving into the corporate. And yes, I'd agree with you. This is, I guess, a very common path that people are looking for. And the way I thought about that first step in was entering into a corporate in a strategy role, firstly, is a natural step from consulting. And so it allows you to do what I was talking about, which is add value from day one but also in the right organization, it can be very valuable for those who have aspirations to move into the commercial side of the business and one day owning a P&L. So I think that the strategy function in the right organization gives broad exposure to the business itself and the different functional areas. It allows you to develop a very deep understanding of the business drivers. It allows you to work with the executive and also to work on the organization's most important business problems. Mm. So I'd strongly encourage people looking into uh, moving into a corporate to consider the strategy path as that natural entry point. Yeah. And that's what we see most of, but it it does have to be a stepping stone move. I I very, as I say, I've never seen it where someone just walks into, you know, a CEO role or a, you know, a, a big role like that. But do you feel like having had that P&L experience, 
that was critical in you securing the, what was the MD role at the time, wasn't it? And now the CEO role at Adore. Yeah, absolutely. So in the same way that equality, that working in a quality management consulting firm is a strong signal for an individual's capability in things like structured problem solving and the classic consulting toolkit, I think that seeking out roles that demonstrate and signal your P&L and people leadership experience, um, ideally having that through the cycle, or we touched on this earlier, navigating challenges or change. I think these things and these types of experiences are an important signal to show your readiness for an MD or CEO role over time. Mm, absolutely. And do you, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you've taken on to date? Oh gosh, well, I think, look, I think the last couple of roles have presented opportunities for challenge and growth. And so I think for me personally, I tend to take on what might be considered tougher assignments or roles. And then I just work really hard. I push through the barriers and look, just focus on delivering results. So if I talk a little bit about MD of Americas, I took a lot of responsibility for businesses in Brazil and Mexico. And so what that required was I needed to operate in culturally very different markets across different time zones, or I didn't speak the local language. <laughs> uh, and those businesses were going through periods of either business model transformation or facing particularly competitive and challenging conditions. So, so that was definitely a step outside my comfort zone and required me to really focus on building trusted relationships, but to drive quite a significant transformational agenda there. Yeah. Uh, my current role. So I've stepped into a business that in the first 12 months, I've had to navigate the significant impact of COVID on customer orders. So we saw volumes essentially double overnight, but also keeping my team working safely. So both working safely from home, but we also operated our customer fulfillment center in COVID safe way during the time, as well as listing the business on the ASX during that period. And so what I take as my learnings from those various roles is those big, messy assignments can be great teachers. Taking jobs that no one else is putting their hand up for is a great way to build credibility and to gain confidence yourself and to build that readiness for the next role. Mm. Goodness. Yeah. You joined Adore at the start of the COVID pandemic and some would say that's quite a risky move. It certainly doesn't sound like you're risk adverse, but what was the thinking around that making that move right at that time? Yeah, certainly. So, the, I mean, the way I look at it in looking for the next business to work with, and this is my approach for my roles at Seek and Adore Beauty, is I'm much more interested in the longer term structural trends impacting the industry and the market, as well as the degree of differentiation or the competitive moats that the business has built. So, as I was assessing Adore in Adore's case, um, if we look at the market context there, Online penetration of the beauty category here in Australia is many years behind the US and the UK, which indicates there's this significant structural headroom for continued growth. And then when I look at Adore's business model, they build a highly differentiated business model around an integrated media and content engine underpinned by personalization to really support discovery and drive loyalty and customer lifetime value. And so basically the way I looked at it is I had a lot of confidence in the long term. So the short-term uncertainty was less of a concern for me and just something for me to navigate and, and lead the team through. Amazing. And you mentioned your dub sales doubled overnight, which is astounding. I, I mean, I, I know I wore a lot less makeup during lockdown. Obviously, wasn't seeing anyone. Obviously, the occasional podcast or Zoom, I'd put a bit of lippy on. But, you know, what were the trends that you saw? What made, what made it double? 
Yes, certainly. So Adora as a business actually indexes much more strongly to skincare and hair care. Right. Those categories account for the, ma- the majority of our business and skincare in particular form- performed very strongly, much more strongly than the overall market. We did see, however, lots of interesting consumer trends during lockdown. And I think some of these are spoken about in the media, but it, I, I felt in some ways we were a barometer for how how women were navigating lockdown, especially here in Melbourne, you know, with six six different lockdown periods. But we saw some pretty predictable phases during lockdown. There was what we called the, the stocking up stage, or I think it was called the toilet paper stage in, in other parts of the market where people just entered lockdown and thought, oh my gosh, I need to stock up on my shampoo, my conditioner, my body wash, et cetera. But what we saw is that as lockdowns continued and people realized they'd be working from home, stuck in their home office, not able to go to their favorite restaurant or go for that holiday, the focus moved much more to self-care and nourishment. So within our platform, people were buying things like scented candles to make their their home office smell nice, uh, sheet masks or home manicure kits, little treats to look after yourself because you couldn't get out and, and do the things you'd normally be doing. So they were the trends we saw over and above just that core strong performance on our end terms of skincare and hair care. Mm. You know, then obviously you had to face the whole supply and logistics um, dilemma that most um, retailers have had to face, I'm sure. We did, yes. And a key part of our customer experience includes that last mile delivery. So that's just as important as the, the, the discovery experience, the transactional shopping experience. And so during the time, we, we took a look and made some changes to our logistics partners to ensure we could, can deliver uh, the same high levels that our customers expect from us. But we we aim to offer industry best in that case. So we offer same day dispatch of any order placed before 4pm. We offer fast free express delivery with tracking, those kinds of things. So we think about that as a core part of our customer experience and we have invested over the period. So we do things like we own and run our own warehouse. We own all our own inventory. That control allows us to focus on customer experience, even when things get a bit uncertain. Mm. I think that's what attracted me to be a repeat customer was how fast I got my products. <laughs> so I was actually shocked because obviously everything in COVID was taking four or five times as long. So yeah, well done on that. Um, and of course, something we haven't mentioned is actually you have, was it three, three children? I do. I've got three, three kids, two boys and a girl, five, seven, and eight. Goodness. So how on earth do you manage your work-life balance? I think the idea of work-life balance during COVID lockdown and homeschooling was a, was a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a joke. <laughs> we survived is, is what I can say. Um, I, I'm a big believer though, of being really authentic on how you as a leader manage that and sharing your experience. Cause I think no one's experience is the same. People will make the decisions that are right for them and their family. All I can do is share what, what we did so that people can see an example, not advocating that this is the right one, but what, what worked for us is that my, my partner worked part-time and undertake shift work. Uh, and so that meant we were able to, we we're able to, I guess, juggle the, the, the caring responsibilities. And he actually made the decision to stop working during COVID lockdowns while we were homeschooling three kids. And so during what he has done is he has took a, uh, taken over primary responsibility on the home front and he's really supported me to accelerate my career. And, and I think that what I would say is that's just my particular context. The important thing here is that 
I'd encourage everyone to manage their work-life balance in a way that works for their family, even if it doesn't align with the traditional norms. And so what it means for me is that I can't go and I can't do all drop-off and pick-ups for school. I can't do all the after-school activities, but I wouldn't miss any weekend sport event. That's my non-negotiable. What I also saw was that COVID provided a great opportunity to reset some of these habits. So we put in place rituals like we went for a walk as a family every morning prior to homeschool or work. We were able to eat all our meals together. So the slowing down that came during lockdown was really valuable and we're planning uh, to keep some of those new habits that we formed. Mm. And then lastly, I'd say... uh, Choose your partner well, if you have one, (laughs) Um, that's been invaluable for me personally. Build your support network around you and outsource all the low value tasks that you can so you can focus on you and your family. I hear that a few times, you make sure you choose your partner partner wisely. So (laughs) I think lockdown has challenged a few of those relationships, but yeah, it sounds like you've got a good one. Uh, do you have, now that obviously we're out of lockdown, do you have a routine that you stick to that keeps you sane? Yeah. So for me, I, I wish I could say I was someone who was able to um, practice mindfulness or meditation and the things. But for me, exercise is my version of that. I exercise whenever I can. And something that's really worked for me coming out of lockdown is building in my family time into my exercise. So as an example, my eldest, my eldest son, eight-year-old Luca, he shares my passion for running. So we tend to go on long runs together. He's already much faster than me and leaves me for dead. <laughs> but what I really love is this time together is because we talk, we chat, we connect as well as exercising. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, but I'm sure there must have been times, obviously, when you felt the strain of long hours, lots of travel, demands of life and all the other things that happen to us. And burnout is a topic that I'm personally really passionate about, obviously having gone through it myself, but also now seeing so much of it across the um, consulting sector. Um, Is there times when you sort of notice that things are getting a bit out of whack for you and you need to tweak something? How do you maintain your health at those times? Yeah, certainly. So what I would say is I've learned through experience also. So particularly when I was younger in my career and, and, and during my time in consulting, where it can be very difficult to manage, you know, client expectations, senior consultant expectations, your desire to overachieve and do well and get that little bit more done. So so I didn't manage my health. I didn't prioritize myself and my well-being and experienced burnout during um, my consulting days. I took a lot of learnings from that. I, 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 and I once had a mentor tell me, and I thought this was a really great way of looking at it. You need to look at yourself as an asset and you need to invest in that asset because that's what's going to help you to develop your ability and to actually realize your potential. And so what I mean in that investment in yourself, I think about that investment personally first. And so that first investment is prioritizing in the same way we prioritize work doing things that replenish and bring yourself energy. So whether that for you is meditation, exercise, spending times with friends and family, finding a way to prioritize that. If you don't make it a priority, your body will talk to you and let you know when it, when it becomes a much more serious issue. Yeah. I think also investing in yourself also means outsourcing everything else that is lower value. So 
get a get a cleaner, get a nanny, um, do the online shopping, do all of those things. And then lastly, investing in yourself. I think about it as saying yes to new opportunities to continue to grow your career. So saying yes to that promotion, that training course. Um, we haven't spoken about this, but opportunities for med roles or advisory council roles that that allow you to grow in ways that align with your purpose. Mm, absolutely. And you obviously you're a, you're on the board of directors at the moment. Not for a door, no. No, for other businesses. I have I have been, yeah. So it was definitely a feature earlier on in my career. So both businesses related with uh, Seek. I, I was on multiple boards of Seek subsidiaries, including OES, the, the startup that I was that I was part of. I also earlier on in my career participated in boards for for in the, in the not for profit space. So I was on the board for the YWCA for multiple years too. Amazing. One thing I read about Adore is that the business has obviously a female co-founder, a female CEO, obviously yourself, a female, a majority female board, a majority female um, executive leadership team and majority female managers. So was that a conscious choice to join and drive a business that supports um, the careers of so many women? So I think a feature of my decision making as I've moved into each of my new roles has been understanding deeply the organization that I'm joining. So its values, its culture, how it works. And so for Adore, obviously I was attracted to its success as a founder-led entrepreneurial growth story over 20 years, but more so I was attracted to its value and its culture, uh, its values and its culture. So a big part of that was the voice that both of our co-founders, so Kate Morris and James Hyde, have brought to supporting Leadership and career development opportunities for, for women. I think Kate in particular has been a vocal advocate on this point. I've been really proud to continue this under my stewardship. So we've, we've looked at, um, we've done things like we've introduced a women in tech scholarship. We've also, we were a foundation partner for a returnship program called Encoreship. And what this is, is this is a program supporting women who've been out of the workforce for a period of time to re-enter. Uh, and so it looks like it's the form of a paid secondment opportunity and mentorship opportunities to help bring females back into the workforce. And obviously, do you get involved with mentorship yourself? Do you have individuals that you mentor? I, I guess the, the personal value I've got from mentorship has been more trusted but informal relationships. So I, I would have more senior people within my network that I, I trusted to seek speak to, seek advice from someone who may have been through a similar set of challenges, perhaps in a different organization. So that's the, the value of mentorship that I've taken. And, and I play that role uh, to, to many consultants, females generally, but in particular consultants. So I, 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 yeah, I definitely like to create the space for that, the next generation of leaders to come through. And I think mentorship plays an important role there. And do you think it's changed over the years? I mean, I know 20 years ago, women sometimes found it hard to find, especially female mentors, um, given it had been so hard for them to climb the ladders in a sort of very male-dominated sector. Have you personally seen the mentorship from more senior leaders change over the years? I think that I've seen definitely the offering of mentorship, but also the emergence of sponsorship, which I think also is highly valuable in an organizational context. And so by sponsorship, I mean someone who 
plays a more active role in championing the next generation of leaders, helping them secure the next job opportunity, offering advice on navigating the organisation. So I think that a focus on career development, a focus on the importance of building the pipeline, in particular for women leaders, has meant that I've I've seen an increased opening on on the role of mentorship and the role of sponsorship. And and look, maybe we see that same focus continuing around fixing some of the systems that are broken around ensuring that that pipeline isn't there and those opportunities aren't created for the next generation of leaders. And I think it's wonderful that you you know actively mentor especially consultants because having speak speaking to them every day often they have no idea what they want to do beyond consulting but what is the best piece of advice that you can give to any consultant say early stages of their consulting career who may aspire to become a CEO of an ASX listed business what advice would you give them yeah certainly so at in the early stages I think it's where you are looking at the building blocks that you will need for a CEO role and investing yourself to, to look at those building blocks. Uh, it won't all be delivered in the context of your next role, but find ways to build and round out these building blocks, fill in any gaps. So we've touched on it a little bit, but be it a NED role, if it's in a not-for-profit space or something smaller um, or a startup, be it an international assignment for global experience, a challenging project at work to better understand operations, Think about yourself as an asset and invest to build out the building blocks that you need to be ready for that next role or the rolling two or three role, the next two or three roles. Hmm. So what I'm hearing is try and get gain as many experiences as possible. Correct. And then think creatively about where those experiences come from. So I think career development tends to be an equal measure planning and skill, improvisation, and a little bit of luck. And so just looking for those experiences whenever they might present themselves. Mm. Tanelle, I always ask my guests for a read, watch, listen to recommendations, so either a book that, or a podcast or, you know, TED Talk that has, you know, they've loved or has really inspired them. Is there anything you can point to? Yeah, certainly. So I don't get to read nearly as much as I would like to, <laughs> but when I do, I'm also known to stay up all night reading. So I'm not one of those people that can just pick up and read a lazy 10 pages before going to bed. It switches my mind on and I'll still be sitting there at 5.30, <laughs> thoroughly enjoying myself, but not so good for the next day. I really enjoyed reading Thinking Fast and Slow um, by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, so, and what I liked about that book is it explored our systems of thinking systems for problem solving. I think each of us index towards a particular style. But what I took from that book is the ability to be adaptive and deliberate and thoughtful in how you approach thinking. So I, I, I just found it fascinating intellectually. As for a listen, I, I can't help but get a plug in for the Adore Beauty podcast, Beauty IQ Uncensored, very lighthearted, completely different topic and pace to what I was just talking about, but also a good bit of fun. Amazing. Thank you. And just thinking back to all the advice you've personally been given from all the mentors and people in your life over the years, what is the best piece of advice that you personally have ever been given? Oh, that's a great question to finish up on. So for me, I think there's probably three elements to it and, it, and it's held me in good stead. So we've touched on the first part, which is invest in yourself. Think about the building blocks and how you get to where you want to be. The second thing is look, look closely at the organisation that you're working in. And so in my experience, the organisation was far more important to me personally than the industry or the vertical. 
And so look at things like, are there opportunities for growth? Is the strategy function valued? Do they have a track record of developing and growing their team and promoting from within? And then lastly, and, and I think that this is really important because the, your career is a marathon and it's something you're going to be doing for 40 plus years. Be very clear on your own purpose and values that, that you bring to a problem. So this connection to your core and that what matters for you is where you'll get the energy to persevere and to tough it out when things get a little bit rough. Amazing. Thank you. And I'm sure you've inspired lots of people with your journey. And if anyone hasn't uh, checked out Adore Beauty yet, I would highly recommend them. Tanil, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll catch up very soon. Thanks for having me, Erica. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Strategy Bites podcast, bringing strategy career advice to the market. But please do remember that first and foremost, Oaktree Talent is a specialist strategy and transformation recruitment agency. So if you're a top tier consultant or want to hire excellent strategy capability, please get in touch.